morning is called Righteous Lot. Now, um, I think Carl will continue on to read in chapter 19 um, later on. But we'll read the first couple of verses of chapter 18 and then we'll read from verses 16 to 33. The word of God where it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Verse 16, And when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham as he had promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, What if only forty are found there? He said, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord be in, not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, that I have Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let him speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home.
Well, uh, we're coming this morning to the end of our series uh, through the book of Genesis. We've been uh, spent about 10 weeks, I think, on uh, the book of Genesis so far. And it always feels a little bit like saying farewell to a close friend whenever you come to the, uh, the end of a series on a book. Uh, but I hope you'll agree that the last 10 weeks or so have been a wonderful reminder of God's faithfulness and God's commitment to redeem and rescue the world uh, that he created And it's really that theme, God's faithfulness, God's commitment to his world, which is the theme of this passage here in Genesis 18. In this last section that we're looking at uh, today, Abraham is faced with questions about precisely that. He's faced with the question of whether God is good or not. Will God be just? Will God be merciful? Will God be kind? Can God be both just and merciful at the same time? Can we trust him to be that? They're the kinds of questions, I think, that often we dare not ask. Is God really merciful? Is God really good? But they're the kinds of questions that Abraham faces up squarely to in this chapter and the Bible faces up squarely to in this chapter as well. And we see again, I think, as we have seen already through the early history of the world in Genesis, that we can indeed trust God, that God is indeed faithful and just and merciful. Well, in chapter 18, we find God coming to visit Abraham in person. And Abraham prepares this uh, lavish meal for God and for the two other men who come with God who turn out uh, later on to be angels. And as God comes to visit Abraham, he reaffirms that promise that he's already made before, that promise that Abraham would have a son. Uh, but, but later on in the chapter, as uh, the Ben read for us, God and these uh, two angels turn to leave and as they do, they look down toward the city of Sodom. God wonders aloud so that Abraham can hear him. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? What God is about to do is to destroy the city of Sodom. The problem is uh, made apparent in verse 20. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. It's the outcry, please notice, of other people crying out, crying out about the injustice that they're suffering in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom is a city full of evil. Like the world in the days before Noah and like uh, the city where they built the Tower of Babel. People are being oppressed and abused And so God decides that something has to be done. The situation can't be left as it is. God chooses not to hide what he's going to do from Abraham. And the reason he does that is expressed in verse 18. God says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and the household, his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. God wants Abraham to do what is just and right, and this whole episode, do you see, is about Abraham coming to understand more fully the justice and righteousness of God. 
Abraham wants, God wants Abraham to understand God's justice and righteousness so that Abraham himself can do justice and righteousness within his family, within the people of God. And Abraham begins his learning process here in this chapter by showing concern about what he has heard God is planning to do. Abraham says in verse 23 to God, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Abraham's question here to God is very bold. I don't think we'd be as bold in speaking to God as Abraham is. He says in verse 24, What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really... God, will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing. God, how could you do it? To kill the righteous with the wicked. To treat the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? If there are 50 people in the city, God, why don't you look after them? 45, 40, and down and down Abraham goes until he gets to 10. Abraham keeps pushing God lower and lower. It's not so much, I don't think, that what Abraham is doing here is pleading with God to be merciful. I don't think that's what he's doing. What Abraham is doing here is struggling to come to grips with the character of God. God, surely you wouldn't do that. Surely you wouldn't let the people who trust in you be wiped out because they're caught up with the wicked. Won't you preserve the people who trust in you? That's what Abraham's asking. Won't you do what what you've promised? Abraham is trying to come to grips with the character of God. He wants to know that God will do the right thing. And at every turn, God shows that he will. I think judgment can be hard to understand. I think the judgment of God, the anger of God against uh, people who reject him, I think that is one of the hardest doctrines to understand. Sometimes it seems like the people who trust in God suffer just as much as the people who don't trust, uh, trust in God. But even the judgment of truly evil people can seem hard to take. And we might wonder, like Abraham, won't the judge of all the earth do right? And God's answer to Abraham is, yes, he will. God shows Abraham that his desire to save outstrips his desire to punish. His desire to save outstrips his desire to punish so much so that even if there's just a handful of people in the city of Sodom who trust God, even if there's just a handful of those people, God will save the entire city. So determined is God to save, to protect his people. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's remarkable to think that God might preserve an entire nation because of a handful of his own people. God is so committed to saving his people. We don't always understand what God is doing, but we can be sure of this. The judge of all the earth will do right. God is deeply, deeply committed to forgiving and saving and rescuing. 
God had been so patient with Sodom. He'd let things go in the hope that maybe there'd be a change, turn around. He'd let the injustice keep going, but he simply couldn't let it go on indefinitely. And even before he decides to go and do something about it, he sends his messengers there to take a close look, a first-hand look at what's going on. Is it really as bad as it seems? God is so patient, so kind, so deeply committed to saving. He's deeply committed to saving and rescuing the people who trust in him. And he's so committed to that that even though the city of Sodom ends up falling... Lot and his two daughters are spared. They're brought out. God brings them out. God rescues them. We'll see that in a moment. We don't always understand what God is doing when we see a diligent and faithful Christian missionary being caught up in the slaughter of people in some foreign country. We don't understand. We go, what is God doing? How could God let the righteous, the people who trusted him, how could God let those people perish with everybody else? We don't understand when simple, humble Christian people are caught up in natural disasters. What's God doing? It can seem like God has abandoned the very people who've trusted him to deliver. But God shows Abraham that despite appearances, that's not true. And this side of Jesus' triumph over death on the cross, we know that even if people are swept away and caught up, in disaster in this life, we know that they will be vindicated by God at the end. They will rise to be with Christ. They will rise to everlasting righteousness and peace. So first of all, in Genesis 18 and 19, Abraham is wrestling to understand the character of God. What kind of God is God? He is a God who is deeply committed to saving the people who trust in him. He is a God of justice and mercy. Well, Abraham and God finish speaking there at the end of chapter 18. Uh, And as chapter 19 begins, we we follow the story on as those two angels who had accompanied God go in to see the situation in Sodom firsthand. And uh, we'll keep reading from Genesis 19. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to uh, follow along. Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. 
But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Behind, shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to, be married, pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get, up, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favour in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a, small, here is a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said, to them, he said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. When the two angels arrive in Sodom, Lot sees them and invites them home. Lot's anxiety about the two men spending the night in the town square shows that he knows what kind of city it is. Lot insists that the men come home with him, but his worst fears are realised when the town men appear from across the city calling for the visitors. They call on Lot to bring these men out, the, these two messengers from God, out so that they can sleep with them. And as if to underline how deeply corrupt this city was, we're told that it's people from all over the city of all ages. Lot tries to bargain with the men by offering them his two virgin daughters. Take my daughters, he says, just don't touch these men. It's such a grotesque offer, it's almost impossible to understand what Lot was thinking. God sent the angels to find out how bad Sodom was. And the answer is, it was bad. The tendrils of the rejection of God had reached into 
every area of the fabric of that life, fabric of that city. The men pull Lot back inside and they tell him that God is about to destroy the city and that he and his family need to flee to the mountains. The sons-in-law won't listen. They're outside, it turns out, with the rest of the crowd calling for the men, for the visitors. They think Lot is joking. They don't go. So Lot with his wife and his two daughters flee the city. But even, even with the impending destruction of God, Lot hesitates and the angels need to grab him by the hand and drag him and his family out of the city. The angels give the family one instruction. It's very simple. Verse 17, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But as they flee for their lives and as God is raining down burning sulfur on Sodom, we come to one of the most sobering statements uh, in the Bible. Verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The city was being destroyed by God because of its sin and its rejection of God's pattern for the world. It was being literally destroyed as they fled. But Lot's wife still wanted to go back. She still looked back longingly to the place that she'd come from. She still wanted to hang on to her life in Sodom. Jesus says in Luke 17 that the day of his return will be like the days of Lot. Jesus says the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day no one who is on the roof of his house house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. And then Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying the judgment of God is coming on sin at the end of time. Run for your life, run as fast as you can. Flee the city and run to Jesus. Sin seems so attractive and that makes it hard to run. It makes it hard to flee the city. The old way of life can seem so much easier, so much more fun, so much more comfortable. We want to keep our life the way that it is. We want to keep our life. But Jesus says that we need to give it up to preserve it. We need to give up our lives and run to him. Jesus is calling out for us to follow him. And we might even really want to do that. We might be looking sort of longingly at Jesus. But we can't run to Jesus because we're stuck. We're stuck in the embrace of the life that we need to leave behind. We embrace pride and self-reliance and we don't want to let go. We want to be proud. We want to be self-reliant. We want to look after ourselves. We want to embrace unkindness. We want to embrace greed, selfishness. We want to embrace all the things that God hates. 
wrong loves, all the things that the world offers us. And we can't let them go. And sin is so powerfully deceptive, I think, that it can be destroying our lives and still we can't let go. The world can be falling to pieces around us because of the sin that we're embracing and still we can't, we can't leave it behind. Like Lot's wife, we know the city's being destroyed, but we still look back and long for the life that we're leaving behind. If the city is burning around you and you're still in it, then Jesus says, run as fast and as hard as you can. Run as fast and as hard as you can. Flee the city, run to Jesus, and don't look back. Remember Lot's wife and run to Jesus. Well, Genesis 18 and 19 shows Abraham wrestling with God to understand the character of God, the justice and the mercy of God. It shows us the deep roots of sin that we can have in our lives that even as the city is falling apart, we can't let go. But lastly, we also see in such a clear uh, and uh, incredible way, we see the extravagant mercy and the kindness of God. Abraham pleaded for God to save the city for the sake of just ten righteous people. And in the end, the city falls, but out of it, God brings Lot and his two daughters. And we take up their story uh, at the end of chapter 19 from verse 30, and we'll just read to the end of that chapter. Chapter 19, verse 30. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom over all the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. The city of Sodom fell because of its sin and these are the three people who were saved. But they don't seem any better than anybody else, do they? They seem to be subject to the same flaws as the people who are left behind in the city. Why were they saved and nobody else? What's so puzzling, I think, is that when you get to the New Testament and you read what the Apostle Peter has to say about Lot, you wonder who he's talking about, if he's even talking about the same person. If you've got your Bible still there, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2.
2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. Peter says this, And if he rescued Lot, that is, if God rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. This righteous man. How can that be? How can Peter be talking about the same person as Genesis is talking about in chapter 19? How can Peter call him righteous? Tormented in his soul by the things being done in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. How can that be? I think there are two things to say about that. First is, when God's servants came to the city, Lot took them in. He looked after them. He fed them. And insofar as he received the messengers of God, he received God himself. Jesus says, insofar as they did it to the least of one of these little ones of mine, they did it for me. Insofar as Lot received the messengers of God, he received God himself. Second of all, he believed God. God sent messengers to Lot to tell him to flee to the mountains. They had to grab him by the hand and pull him to take, to take him with them. But he still went. He wasn't like the sons-in-law who thought it was just a big joke. And he wasn't like his wife who looked back and longed for the city that they were running from. God said to Lot, follow me and flee to the mountains. And Lot believed God. Lot may have been living in Sodom, but at the end of the day, he acted in precisely the same way that Abraham acted. When God's servants came, Lot welcomed them. And when God called him to leave his home and flee to somewhere else, Lot went. Last year, uh, Mike Rater, who's a uh, pastor from Melbourne, spoke on this passage at a preaching workshop. Uh, here in Launceston, and he made this point. He said the last word that Genesis has, that the, old, the entire Old Testament has, the last word that the Old Testament has about Lot is there at the end of Genesis 19. The last thing we see of Lot is this, naked, drunk, in bed with his daughters. It's the last thing the Old Testament has to say about Lot. But that's not God's last word. God's last word is 2 Peter chapter 2. This righteous lot. Abraham pleaded with God not to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And he didn't. He saved the righteous. But the most surprising thing of all, is that the righteous people are the people just like Lot and just like Abraham. Lot wasn't saved because of his great blamelessness or spotlessness, his personal holiness. 
He wasn't saved because of something that he'd earned or something that he deserved. He was saved and he was righteous in the same way that Abraham was righteous. He believed God and it was counted to them as righteousness. Will God save his people? Yes, God will. Will God sweep away his people with the wicked? No, he won't. What kind of people does God save? God saves the people who believe him and trust his word. People who trust him enough to flee from judgment and flee from sin and run to Jesus. Well, I don't know what condition your life is in. You might have walked into this church for the first time today. You may have never been to church in your life before. You couldn't be further away from God. Your life might be in terrible shape. You might have been sitting in this church alternatively for 20 years and your life might be a kind of private sham. Your family story might be every bit as sordid as the family story of Lot. But either way, the only thing that matters is this. Do you believe God? Have you fled and run to take hold of Jesus? Or your life might be a life of public respectability. There might be nothing in your life which is falling apart and everything is going well. But at the end of the day, public respectability and a together life doesn't save us from the coming judgment. The only thing that matters is this. Do we believe God and run to take hold of Jesus? Is God a just God? Will God do right? Will God save his people? The answer that Abraham found is yes. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember Lot's wife and take hold of Jesus. Let me pray. Dear Lord,